Is it just me, or is Cleveland taking the saying, the final straw, way too seriously? You're listening to the Selfie is Godcast with Zach Meisel and TJ Zupi. Fly ball, deep right field. Back is Spencer at the one and two, get the ball. Subscribe to Selby is Godcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Unbelievable. Death, taxes, mile straw at the plate with the game on the line. It's inevitable. He's like Thanos at this point. I texted you as that was happening in the 10th inning, and he was like four batters away, but you could just see it was lining up perfectly. Here was going to come mile straw with the game on the line with a chance to extend it. No such luck. What a shocker. Shock of shocks. What's up, bub? Yeah, but what better way to end this two-year drought that surpassed <laughs> one million minutes over the weekend than Miles Straw finally hitting that first home run since August 26th, 2021, and doing it with a walk-off Grand Slam? I think Tito, I think the coaches knew what was at stake. I think they've got a little... <laughs> timer going on uh demarlo hale's phone and the the stopwatch app and i think they have counted they Mm. saw it just past one million minutes this is it's just the perfect script just didn't happen do you think you could create a michael scott like song here for the last time miles straw hit a home run Remember the, the going away way. party like, for Michael Scott when they sing the song about how many hours and why can't we just go that route with Miles Straw to celebrate last time he was able to circle the bases all of, on his own doing. It's a lot of Michael Scott songs. I was thinking more like Goodbye Toby. You could say, well, I think listeners could take it whatever way they want. Goodbye Tito. Goodbye, oh, Miles. <laughs> Goodbye, the home run drought. Yeah, all of those things. Yes, yes. But uh, no reason what for about celebration. Scranton, the electric city? Mm-hmm. I don't know what you're going to do with that. You keep thinking about it. I'll tell people <laughs> what they're listening to. It's the Selby is Godcast. I'm TJ. That's Zach. We're here to talk about a series which <laughs> I had written down as the game was unfolding. God, this is this is just so perfectly this team it seemed like they were trending toward they were going to lose the game as at least as I was writing this down and I thought this is a good series you take two out of three I don't have much to complain about when in this series and especially lately it has felt like anytime they just get a little bit of momentum they put one foot in front of the other then here comes the next foot right on their face and it's like yeah you got some positive momentum but it could have been better but this one was just shaping up to be good team, Philadelphia. I'm pleased with taking two out of three this weekend, all things considered. But when you know it, they found a way to make me angry at the end of the game. They come back, you David Fry hits the home run, and so you shift from, well, here comes Kimbrel, game's over, to, oh, here comes extra innings. I know it's the, been a bullpen game, but who knows, you just tied it. And you've, you're the home team with the runner on second base. This 
even with this weekend, with me writing it down in my notes, Zach, <laughs> that I was not going to be upset, that there was plenty more to feel good about compared to not so good about, still I'm left with that, that, that awful feeling that we're left with, that sour taste that I can't quite escape with this ball club. I mean, think about their last eight games. They're five and three in those eight games. The three losses were getaway day in Texas, where Trevor Steffen just melted down in the eighth inning. Getaway day in Pittsburgh, where what Sam Hentges and Angel De Los Santos melted down against a Pirates team that you should be able to wiggle out of any jam against. And then the last game of the series against Philly, where you're a little bit different. Um, I mean, Hentges had a rough time, and you know that happened earlier in the game. And then obviously the tenth inning, so it wasn't just like that complete typical seventh or eighth inning where you're up three and you give up four. But the theme here is it's just it's just a bad inning or two by the bullpen in all three of those losses. Otherwise, you had a perfect week plus. The problem is the rotation is in such shambles right now where I don't know that there's a single starting pitcher who you can trust to get more than five aside from maybe Tanner Vibe. And so you're going to be leaning on the bullpen a lot, and that's not going anywhere. It's going to be like that for the last two months. So you're just going to have more opportunities for the bullpen to run into issues. So I don't know how that gets solved. And it seems like no one is immune. I mean, I think the the perfect example of this bullpen, because we've all seen the dichotomy of their stats, where like, if you look at ERA, and maybe not as much now as two weeks ago, but they went into the All-Star break, number one in ERA. But I think if you paid attention, you knew like, this is not, you know, the 2016 playoff bullpen, right? Um. It's just, it's someone different every night. And the perfect example is just how Nick Sandlin comes in and gets out of a jam Friday and looks great and then comes back and the next inning gives up back to or back to back home runs, right? It's, it's just, so you like, you have, okay, finally, I found a guy I can trust. And never mind. And on Sunday, Tim Heron, what a rebound. Right. A really nice appearance. Right. And he comes back out to get a, another lefty out. And there it goes. So it's just, it's any time they want to start trusting somebody more, that pitcher says, no, actually, joke's on you. Shouldn't have trusted me. There's a part of an old Dane Cook stand-up routine where he's talking about drowning, and his biggest fear is as he's under the water drowning that somebody lights the top of the, f- the, the water on fire. <laughs> so there's nothing for you, nowhere for you to go. But then there's just a little spot where maybe you can stick your head up and somebody punches you in the head as soon as your head comes up that part of the water. That's what this bullpen is like. (laughs) You're drowning, you're drowning, and you're like, oh, there's the surface. I'm going to reach it. There's the spot. I'm up right in the face. (laughs) And you're right. Part of it is a little bit out of their hands because you're putting a lot on them. It's a bad time for them to to be walking guys left and right and the the amount of walks they had in this series against Philadelphia, part of me is thinking, how did they win two games? Walking the, the number of people with the offense that they have. I mean, they escaped in some situations that Philadelphia could absolutely, and I'm sure they are, kicking themselves over. 
but because the starting rotation is what it is and you you know Xavier Curry can only go 3 innings because he's not stretched out you are trusting guys and then if a guy has a little bit of a hiccup you have to go to a guy a little bit sooner like with the case of Sandlin or with Heron and in a normal situation you would just go to the next guy in line but you're like an inning or in some cases two away from where you really want to be so you got to stretch that guy just a little bit further and that's when the San- the Sandlin blow up happens the Heron blow up happens you can take the case they shouldn't have been playing in the 10th inning because David Fry extended the game the jerk didn't he look at the state of the bullpen and realized they only have so many innings here they got a, a series coming up against Kansas City they got to think about innings in this series and here he comes to extend the game against Kimbrel what was he thinking i mean this dude's a catcher he should know the plight of this team trying to get through innings right now what, come on selfish very selfish home run by David Fry. You know, we spend so much time talking about Nolan Jones and Will Benson and Yandy Diaz, and you tweeted about it like a minute after I had written down this note to bring up today. But you know, we should talk about and spend some time on the fact that they do benefit from those sorts of deals going the other way. And I mean, remember, like they used to fleece the Mariners once a year. Remember they got uh, Shinsu Chu and his Drupal Cabrera from the Mariners for like Ben Broussard and Eduardo Perez. The the guard or the Indians first base platoon. <laughs> they just traded them the yeah. first base pl- platoon for that. They used to just thrive on those sorts of deals. Um, and I think see Mejia for David Fry. I mean that's I feel like they already won. Like. <laughs> Fry's given them a huge lift here over the last few weeks. Uh, and I don't know. I don't think anyone, I think Mejia could have developed into a an ace. And I think people had just seen more than they ever wanted to see of that guy in 2021. It just never seemed like it was going to click. So um, that looks like a pretty solid deal. And just that the defensive, I'm going to say value, and that's not to say that he's like a gold glover wherever you put him, but when you have a guy who can catch and do other things, Mm -hmm. that is just so helpful. And if it eventually means the end of the Cam Gallagher experiment and that they can get more use out of another bench spot on the roster, that helps too. But he's just been like a godsend lately. Oh, yeah. I mean, the the positional versatility alone is valuable. Chris Jimenez made a pretty solid career out of just being able to catch and also do other things. And so maybe that's what David Fry is. I don't know that he's the 133 WRC plus that he's put in right now. Let's see. Let's update the slash line. 303, 352, 485. I'm not sure that's him. Part of it is they've used him against left-handed pitching, so they're setting him up. For all of the talk about not putting younger or inexperienced players in a position to succeed, they have done that with Fry for the most part, although asking him to go play right field maybe is asking a little bit too much. But he's done that outside of the one really crippling error that he had right when they put him out there. That's an interesting player. We even talked. I mean, it's not like he came completely out of nowhere. We talked about him when they acquired him. That it was just an interesting sort of profile. And you're right, that has been... A victory. So credit to them. It's to the level of what I think is probably a platoon backup, can play everywhere, probably not a starter for anybody player, but I'll take that. 
that's fine. I mean, you you weren't going to get anything out of J.C. Mejia. He's barely pitched with the, the Brewers as it is. So, yeah, absolute victory. And you... I don't, I don't want to anoint this guy as like he's going to be on the active roster for the next five years, but you have found a solution. You've identified someone you can see a fit for moving forward who's not a middle infielder. What a victory. You've got a million of those guys that you got to sort through. Here's one person that you can designate a bench spot to, part-time role, get him in the lineup against lefties, sometimes against righties. And I mean, honestly, like going into next year, like why him and Bonaler? There's your catching tandem, done. And then he can play first base if you need, third base in a pinch, right field if you need. Um, and it, it gives you flexibility late in games too, and that's huge. And you, it's there. You don't have to have three shortstops on the bench because one of your bench guys is David Fry and J.C. Mejia. By the way. He's made four appearances with the Brewers this season. It looks like he's back up with them now. Um, he's been solid in AAA, 386 ERA, but a one-inning reliever now. You know, he's not starting. He's not not sure. doing anything that is worth discussing well, on the even, podcast. So, but, but e- even if that—that's I mean, what he is. Even if he's fine in that role, that the Guardians need another one of those middle relief arms, long man arms. Like you could say, right now they do. No, I mean, long-term here, do they need another one of those guys? No, what they needed was somebody that's an interesting position player. David Fry is that. So it, it could, you know, Mejia could just eventually become a solid middle-of-the-road-mid-game, uh, keep-the-game-right-where-it-is sort of reliever, and that's fine. Everyone would get what they want out of it. But in this case, the Guardians got something that is beneficial to them. And as you said, answers something. I, I don't think it's, uh, like, he's... I don't think he's wrestling away the starting catcher job from Bo Naylor next year or anything like that, but it's an intriguing guy. And that's part of maybe why I was feeling like this weekend was you take two out of three against a good team. You probably should feel good about that, regardless of what the twins are doing. The only thing I'm concerned about is are the guardians just playing better baseball? Are they building up some momentum and getting their heads above water to, to me, that's all you need to be concerned about at this point in the calendar. You also were were just seeing just glimpses of uses of guys the way that we want them used. It's not, it wasn't uh, totally gone to plan, like if you and I were drawing it up. But when I see Tyler Freeman getting a chance to sh- start at shortstop, I know it's on a Sunday. Let me see your flow chart. What day was it? What's not open? <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever craved Chick-fil-A on a Tuesday? Or a Thursday? No. Or no. a Saturday? No. 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 Just not, not really. Not really. Chick Fil A is just a, just like a little bit overrated. For what it is, mm. like it's good. I don't know that I've ever been like, damn, I want some Chick Fil A right now. Okay, that's sorry. I'm going to anger everybody. I mean, I, any other fast food place have like a double drive-through line? Yeah. Right next door in Canton, Canes, the freaking thing is just wrapped around the building three times. Both chicken places. What do you know? Okay, so back to my original point before I got derailed by Tyler Freeman playing on a Sunday, as is expected. We also no, saw... I'm derailed now because I'm craving Canes. <laughs> Gabriel Arias 
come in late in a game to replace the worst defensive shortstop by the numbers in baseball this year. And not just like a one-game thing. It was something that was addressed by Tito. Terry Francona talked to Ahmed Rosario about this very thing, that this is something that is going to happen a little bit more in the second half. I'm pleased with that. I know Miles Straw makes the last out, but he's utilized before that the way that I would want him to be used. He comes in as the pinch runner. And Andre Jimenez prevents him from stealing second base, but he had the base stolen. And, of course, Jimenez swings, and it goes for none. And then one pitch later, double play, and then there's the home run, of course. Of all the sequencing, that is the most Guardians ever. But the, you just saw little glimpses of the way guys need to be used. Fry, Arias, Straw. And it just got me excited for maybe more of what we're going to see in the second half. I know, they're going to rip the rug out from under me and we're going to be right back into normal normalcy tomorrow. But it just gave me like a, a, a day, a series where I'm like, ooh, maybe they see what we see and maybe we're going to see more of that in the second half. Yeah, I is it do you think it's because I sort of <laughs> I talked to certain members of the coaching staff in front office during the road trip and sort of expressed my uh inability to understand why the certain players have not been utilized in these ways. So maybe Maybe I'm to think. I don't know. Um, I look. It they're about to play their 100th game of this season. Um, Ahmed Rosario didn't need to stoop to minus 17 defensive runs saved before someone should have noticed. Like, hey, maybe he's not our best defensive shortstop on the roster, and maybe there are other people we can use when the game's on the line. Shouldn't have taken that long. Like, Bryce Harper had Tommy John surgery in November, okay? He had Tommy John surgery eight months ago. And he is also a two-time MVP and a seven-time All-Star. But he said, hey, I even recognize Kyle Schwarber is a parking cone in left field. And that for the Phillies to be as effective as we can be, if I can play first base, that can open up DH for my buddy Kyle. And then we can go out and we can trade for an outfielder. Or we can play other people in left field who are more capable defensively. So I'm going to learn a new position on the fly. And I'm going to fly into a camera well on my first day doing it. And I'll just sacrifice for the betterment of the team. Because I recognize how this can make the team better. Are you telling me that Bryce Harper looks at defensive metrics and the Cleveland guardians leaders do not. <laughs> now, let's, let's be real here. The problem in that scenario is not Ahmed Rosario. I think Ahmed Rosario to his credit has proven every time they've asked him to go do something like, Hey, you've never really played center field, but you want to go do that now? He's done that. And, and what I don't know behind the scenes, maybe he's been upset about it, but has never publicly put on a mad face about that. And even in the case where Arias takes over in the ninth inning, when you're a professional ball player, you have to be extremely proud. Even when you, you recognize, I'm maybe not the greatest defender, I'm not having a great year, it still does not make it feel any better, I think, to get replaced on the field when you're in winning time, right? But it's not like Rosario went up the tunnel to go 
steam about it. Where was he? Right on the top step, like like showing Arius, like, I'm not mad at you. And I think there's some level of that for a young player. You're like, I don't want to step on Ahmed Rosario's toes. Everybody loves this guy. And rightfully so, this dude scores from first base on a pop-up into the outfield. He had no freaking business doing that. I want to give Ahmed credit for the things that I think he does extremely well. And from a leadership standpoint, all of the reports we've gotten is that he is the ultimate teammate. So in this situation, I really don't think, even if Rosario personally is a little bit hurt by it, I really think he would do what's best for the team and it was what is best for younger players. I don't think he would make anybody feel uncomfortable. The situation seems easy. So I, yes, you are right. It should not have taken to this point, but thank God, one, we found out where the line is. And two, it's a day for celebration because it's been recognized that now that the line has been crossed, it's done. There's no, like, thinking about it. It's already been done, so now it's established. It's a, th- it's a thing that happens, so now it can happen again. Yeah, and obviously I'm, I'm joking about taking credit I, for I, this, but I, 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 my point is that I came away with the sense that they recognize, like, like that things aren't ideal, right? And that because whether you want to blame Tito, you want to blame the front office, like we've said, you know, they collaborate on a lot of the stuff. And even if it's not, you know, Chris Antonetti filling out the lineup card every day, it's there are conversations about how to maximize each player's skill set. And I think there are frustrations or just. I think that they realize that this roster is not perfectly put together at the moment. And, you know, I think a lot of the reason why straw plays so much is just because of, even if his defense is down this year, it's just, there's just a sense of trust there. That doesn't excuse him batting in the ninth inning in key situations all the time. Um, but I, I also think there are certain buttons they want to push and with Straw, I know like they have been relentless in trying to get him to run more. And I think you've seen it a little bit lately. And it like it on Sunday, like it doesn't always result in a stolen base. And um, sometimes there are other people who play a part in that too, the hitter. But I think I think they're just you know I think like I, I think they really like Ahmed Rosario. I, I I don't I just I don't think they're like blind or ignorant to the stats or the facts or what's happening. And that doesn't excuse the decision-making. It's just, I just think that they don't, and I understand like this is going to sound stupid, but they don't trust the guys that they don't know about yet. And they feel like they have to lean on the known commodity, even if the known commodity isn't producing. I just think that there's resistance to like playing Gabriel Arias and Tyler Freeman every day, clearly. But I did sense this week in conversations that it was at least recognized like what wasn't working and that this isn't permanent. Um, So I don't know what's going to happen moving forward. I do think it's hilarious that Tyler Freeman starts once a week, but he's batting second starting a shortstop. I mean, like if he's good enough to hit in front of Jose Ramirez (laughs) in between Quan and Ramirez, it's probably good enough to play more than once a week, right? I don't know. So you know, you know how they, this works, right? You know they recognize that to some degree. I just, you know, I, I 
let's before I declare anything, let let's see what happens moving forward and whether this actually becomes something or it was just a, another one off and another tease. People have been complaining that we haven't given enough of the organization's answers to the questions that we ask. And I just, I'll just take it one step further. Forget getting the answer to the question. You are listening to the show with the dude that helps change their minds. Well, do, you the want, do you want the answer or do you want Zach to get in there, grab somebody by, the, by their neck and say, stop playing Rosario in the ninth inning, you dummy? I'll tell you what. If they win the World Series, I'll write a book about it. <laughs> And I'll reveal all those conversations and what was said. Oh, I can't wait. Deal? Yeah. Yeah. That's... I mean, the answers, the, the, and I'm not rehashing how this works, but it doesn't matter what's said, publicly or privately, because the answers are what, the answers are in the lineup. The answers are in the in-game decisions. That's all that matters. I mean, I can have a conversation and, I can express that I really don't understand why Straw's not lifted when it's his turn to bat and they need a hit. And the answer given to me doesn't make sense. And I can come back and say that that doesn't make sense. That doesn't add up. Sure, he's got speed. Sure, he's trustworthy defensively. Those things don't matter when you need a hit. Speed doesn't matter if he's not getting on base. And sometimes, like, I just don't get a good answer, and, and that's that. You know, you don't see eye to eye on something. But it doesn't even matter. It does not matter. It could give me a just a perfect answer that makes a ton of sense and satisfies my question. But if there's still a head-scratching decision in the game that night, then the words that came out of the coach's mouth or the front office executive's mouth, they mean nothing. So we'll see what happens. Um it's just, it, it is weird that it, like, why, why that day, right? Right, that, that, yeah. Like, what prevented that conversation and that light bulb to go off from happening two weeks earlier? Yeah, right. Two months earlier, but two weeks earlier. That's what I don't know. That's the next line of questioning and, like, is often the case think what might be said publicly might differ from what is said privately and so we'll try to get to the bottom of it i can't wait for you to write that book and reveal what tito really thought about all the players that he managed all the ones that he said great glowing things about you're gonna tell us everything but they got to win the world series first so that's out of your hands <laughs> maybe i have a game for you do you want you want to play a game Sure. Let's do it. Did you have anything else you want to get off your chest first? Oh, I, I have like two or three things. But let's, instead of doing the thing that we always do, which is postpone the thing we have planned all the way to the end and squeeze <laughs> it in in the final five minutes, let's 25 minutes into this show devote time to the thing that you planned for. I'm going to let you do that. All right. So I created a game where I'm going to say something so outlandish and it's a, these rules are actually different than what I explained to you earlier. Uh, I'm going to say something outlandish and you are going to have to tell me 
maybe even convince me whether I actually believe that statement or not. So this isn't. This is like the what, what was the game show where the the other two three people on stage and they tell a story and you try to, to tell f- the truth. Yeah. So this is what this is going to be. Yeah. All right. I, th- I think I understand what you're saying. So let's try it out. Okay. Statement number one. Xavion Curry through 99 games is the Guardians. Team MVP. Well, you mean you've That's already, a pretty crazy statement. You've already said but it. Do I actually believe that? <laughs> you've, you've already said it. So, yeah, that's truth. You've said it before. You're not going to back off of that. No, that's false. <sighs> so you lied before. It's Josh Naylor, isn't it? Boy, that that is an interesting question. Boy, if I would have told you in like mid-March that a week before the trade deadline, we would be debating whether Josh Naylor or Xavier Curry is the team MVP, <laughs> what would you have said? Remember, Xavier Curry didn't make the opening day roster, <laughs> and then he did when McKenzie went down. Yeah. Remember, they told him, hey, you're on the team, we think. If we don't find anybody better than mm-hmm. you, <laughs> then, then you'll be on the team. And how do you replace the guy that has been has meant so much? I know you're not trying to downplay it, but he really has meant a lot to to a team that. Can I give you a Curry stat? Curry stat. Go ahead. So this season he's made 25 appearances. Twice he's given up three runs. Both of those were long mop up duty, long relief. In blowout losses, so I don't, I don't, I don't care about those. Twenty-three appearances, he has given up, and most of them, you know, a few of them were one inning. Most of them are two or three. One was five. Twenty-three appearances. You know how many times he's given up more than one run? Three, two. three, oh, two. Okay, wow. Twice in 23 appearances. And one of those was his first outing of the year. He went five innings. So he's had one outing in which he's given up two, one non long relief mop up outing in which he's given up multiple runs. I mean, it's, he's been, He's been really good, and I've been talking to him a bunch lately, maybe trying to work on a feature story there, but the kid is just incredible. His outlook on life is unbelievable. So easy to root for. It's funny. he Every time he pitches multiple innings, we talk to him, and no matter who is working that night, the first two or three questions are about like, how do you always stay ready? No matter, you don't know what your role is going to be and it keeps changing. It's, it's the same question, like every four days to this poor guy. Um, and he answers, I, I mean, he's just the dude is always smiling and he's been awesome for them. And anyway, Josh Naylor's the team. MVP. <laughs> yeah, anyways, 
The guy should have been an an all star. He wasn't. Yeah, it's it, it's not just about winning or losing that game for Curry. It's the innings that don't pile up for somebody else when he mm-hmm. doesn't implode in the two or three or four innings, whatever that he actually works. Now I don't know if he has been good because he's pitched the way that he has. This is not to take it away from anybody because once the bleeding has started, it's tough to stop it. But you don't know if somebody in that position, if a team that has taken the lead, if not that guys are giving away at bats, but if is the team more comfortable than not they've built up a five to one lead, then here comes Curry, and then you know you pitch your three innings because the team's cruising. Is he succeeding because he's only pitching two or three innings? And if he were to build up more, would he have the arsenal to survive two or three times through a lineup? I don't know. Is he to a point where he's probably earned more of that? Yeah, I would say so. The thing is, the team kind of needs his role to stay there. They need someone that they can trust to continue to do that. And while who is going to join this rotation and be the fifth guy right now, is a huge question. Hulk Hogan. <laughs> but whose side is he on? Curry's been on the side of keeping this this bullpen from just exploding on itself. Uh, so, so can they take him out of that role? I don't know. Is he succeeding because he's in that role? Again, I don't know. I hope this dude gets a chance to do more, though, because he's earned it it's just do they have a chance to do that right now i don't know because they really need him to stay in this role right now yeah it's like if you're gonna say Naylor's the mvp it's it's pretty obvious their lineup has been really rough at certain points and he's been truly for three months like the sec- the best hitter outside of shohei otani the only hitter better than you over this really long period of time is the greatest baseball player who ever lived. That's a pretty cool accomplishment. So he ekes out, ekes by the guy who didn't actually kind of made the opening day roster <laughs> and is like a mop-up guy as team MVP. Uh, this season isn't going so well. But yeah, where's where's yeah. your MVPs when the bases are loaded in the 10th inning and you're still hanging around that game? Where's Jose coming up with the big hit? Where's Naylor with that big hit? He thrives in these situations. We put it all on straw, but how about the two MVP-level players that are not doing anything in those situations in front of him? I think I have an MVP vote this year. Can you imagine if I go, like, okay, Otani, Luis Robert, Jose Ramirez, Xavier Curry, Yanni Diaz. Wait, what? (laughs) He's been impressive. The uh, un- and that there is a lot of value that you don't see. Yes, on his stat page, you the- mentioned you taught what he's meant to that whole staff. He's helped starters. He's helped relievers. He's helped his manager's blood pressure. <laughs> Tito needs that. That's that is very valuable. I mean, Ryan Tapera got one on accident. You'd be the guy <laughs> giving true. Curry giving an MVP vote, non ironically. All right. Speaking of MVP ballots, I'm going to say something outlandish. There is a path for Jose Ramirez to be American League MVP. Hmm. Do I actually believe that? I don't think you do. 
I think I think that one's a false. Hmm. Well, what's the path? Well, it's the one. What that, would the path be? We explained it before. It, Shohei gets traded to the National League, and Jose's got to finish the final two months on fire. Like that—that that is the only way that it even remotely opens up is if Shohei gets traded. That's the only way. Right, that but it opens so. Up. But what of you just listed? It's a two-step process here, and which of those two seem unreasonable? I would say Shohei getting traded. Hmm. I mean, he's got to get traded, first of all. That's a big hurdle to clear for the Angels because if, if they think there's even a chance that they can re-sign him, they can't trade him. I don't think they can. This is a, How am I going down this path right now on this show and during this segment? But if you trade him now... I talked to some people about Dave and Busters. And let me say, first of all, if you don't subscribe to our Patreon... <laughs> You're missing out. I mean, we had a hearty laugh the other day. We did. Comparing just just picture Chris Antonetti, Shohei Otani, and Paul Dolan uh, playing skee ball. <laughs> Go to our YouTube pop a shot. YouTube short section. You can see a small, small part of that conversation. Yes, for sure. We did talk about tickets and Dave and Busters, and it all really happened. And I I don't know what the Angels are going to do. You're probably right. They probably hang on to him because there's just so much risk involved. They the should. GM has to just be pulling his hair out. I think if you look at the Angels... It's easier if they just lose every game for the next week. <laughs> but but I was going to say, selling. the Angels schedule, I'm pretty sure they play a lot of cupcakes. They They could make up some ground here and fool themselves into thinking they could make some noise they should absolutely trade him though players get so very little now for being a rental remember 15 years ago when a guy would be a rental god probably have to go back that far 10 years ago a guy would be a rental and they would still somehow fetch two top five prospects and another guy that was super interested i mean now imagine a guy like cc sabathia getting traded and they managed to pry, I mean, whatever you th- Matt Laporta's career became, he was a well-thought-of prospect. And Michael Brantley wasn't, like, you think, player to be named later, but the Brewers really liked Brantley. They didn't want to give him up. So they got two really good players for two months and plus of, of CeCe. That doesn't happen now, but this guy, this is the one time where you could trade a rental and get back, still get back Two top five prospects. I think that's legitimate. Like, it could actually happen. And you hold on to that guy for what? The little bit of extra money you make because the advertising you have for having Shohei? Like, I don't know. I got a little annoyed at the when Shohei said he really likes Jose Ramirez, and that became the laziest talking point in sports media the next day. But I have gone head first into I like I the Shohei conversation period first of all I'm just I will marvel at what the guy does and I will beg any sports writer who is around him to please write an article that shows exactly what his weekly schedule looks like I've wanted to know this for years 
show me every single hitter's meeting he has to be in, every single pitcher's meeting he has to be in, every scouting report he has to know of opposing hitters, opposing pitchers, every meeting he has with a catcher, every meeting he has with pitching coaches, with hitting coaches, marketing and interviews with Japanese media, with English-speaking media. Like, I want to know everything he has to do in a week. It's just so fascinating to me. But I love the conversation about what the Angels should do at the trade deadline, and I can't wait until the offseason. Like, the bidding war, and as we talked about the other day, how many front offices? Someone told me he thinks probably half the league. He doesn't think that, like, you know, the Rays GM is going to go into their owner's office and ask if he'd be willing to spend a billion dollars. It should go toward a new ballpark anyway. Um, but, like, I want to know what those conversations are like. I want to know what the bidding war looks like. I want to know what the presentations, the sales pitches look like. Are you trying to sell them on the new Fahrenheit downtown? Um, yeah, it, it's <laughs> it's all fascinating to me, and I just I can't get enough. And I'm actually like I'm excited for the offseason. Like the winter meetings are going to be cool. Yeah, for once it's not just yeah. like fake excitement. Yeah, it would all about it. be a fun one to follow, and and you could actually lead Sports Center. It would make sense because he's that good. He's that important to the sport. It's the sport's best player could be available for anybody to have for just money. That's all you got to do is give him some money. Although I can see why the Tampa Bay Rays would be getting into the mix because they have no shot at Shohei. But you don't have to do anything but give players, and he's yours for two months. He, yeah. he doesn't choose you. You don't have and to pay him. And it doesn't matter if you – money doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you can afford him later. No. Because – if you trade for him now, like even if the Dodgers trade for him this week, you're still gonna have to win a bidding war. So the fact that like this is the one opportunity you can have him, maybe ever, that right. the Rays and the Twins and the Orioles and the Reds and the whoever could be in on him. That's yeah, that's fun. When he goes to the Hall of Fame someday. On the plaque will be your team for this stretch and whatever he helped you do in the postseason. But yeah, it would need to be a National League team in this case. <laughs> and I think you're right. I think the odds of that happening are not great. And then Jose needing to outplay everybody. And then, yeah. But oh, he is third in the American League and Fangraph's war right now behind Otani and Luis Roberts. So there's a path. It's mm. just like... It's really muddy. It's mm. dark out. It's a lot of trees. It's not well lit. But there's a path. But I, yeah. I, I agree. Like you're right. I, I don't really believe that. The path is like overgrown. Plus, could Otani be traded and still win MVP? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> like it. I don't. I don't know how that works for the league that he leaves. Is, isn't there a? I think your colleague Jason Stark wrote about this. I didn't read the article. Just because I really I don't, to and I forget. Uh, I I really don't think that he's going to be traded, but I don't. I don't have to look at that. Is there like a games played threshold? Maybe. Mm. Remember Manny Ramirez got traded to the Dodgers and then hit like three ninety nine. <laughs> yeah, and he he took over. Manny would. Yeah, in two thousand eight, he got traded from Boston to L.A. And in 53 games of the Dodgers, he hit 396 with a 1232 OPS. 
and oh. he finished fourth in the MVP voting in the National League. Okay. So I guess it does just go to your new league. So yeah, you know, there's some guy with Atlanta that's having a hell of a year that might have something to say about that, though. Yeah, I could imagine. I mean, how about CC when he got traded to the Brewers? Yeah, he finished fifth in the Cy Young voting and sixth in the MVP voting. That's that's the best. Is the Brewers traded for him and they they said we're not re-signing him. We care. Nothing about this dude's longevity for the rest of his career. Pitch the absolute, ever-loving, you know what, out of this guy <laughs> because we don't care. We don't care, and they did. How many innings did he eat with the Brewers <laughs> after so they traded made, him? He made seventeen starts, seven complete games, one hundred and thirty point two innings. <laughs> so, quick math. That's that's like just shy of eight per start and what what about in the playoffs he pitched in the playoffs and then that one series one, one, and he was pitching series. on three days rest quite a bit right <laughs> just they did not care <laughs> i mean he played half a season for the brewers and was sixth in the mvp voting that's As a an, pitcher that's, that's what insane. i'm saying trade for otani because the do you think the tampa bay rays give a damn about whether or not he's going to be able to make his starts next year and the year after that and do you think Shohei, in the midst of a, his first legitimate playoff race and a chance to make noise in the postseason, he's going to say, no, I don't want to pitch as much as I possibly can, and I don't want to DH, and I want to do all this? Th-. No, you're going to play the crap out of that guy. Because you're, he's not your issue beyond the end of this year. And if he gets traded to a National League city and you don't have tickets, you can just fire up the SeatGeek app, use code SELBY, and if you've never done that before, you get $20 off your first ticket purchase. I'm ready for your next one. Josh Bell will wind up with an OPS of at least 800 at the end of the season. Well, let me see where he's at right now. I'm already going to drop a truth because uh, I read our text messages, despite what you think. I do read your text messages that you send me. And you said... I believe he's going to mess around and finish with an 800 OPS. And as of today, let's see. One for four was a single. He's got the WRC plus to 103. So where's the OPS to 729 is the updated OPS. I think he's going to do it. I think he's going to do it. I think it's a truth. I think you believe that too. This reminds me of, was it 2019 when Jose Ramirez had a wretched start to the season, kind of cleared his head at the all-star break, went home and came back with a vengeance in the second half only to break his handmate bone and then somehow return in three weeks and first two at bats, he hit a home run or a grand slam and a three run homer. Um, And we were, we had that running gag, like he's going to, finished with an 800 OPS and then he finished with an OPS. I mean, he got there, but it was like he had no business getting there. Um, this reminds me of that. I, I don't, I mean, I don't know. It, it's, this is the highest it's been since, uh, ever since April 23rd, <laughs> since ever, <laughs> 
since April 23rd where he just had like a really big game with where he went three for four and it went up 100 points because it was really early in the season. But he has not spent back. That's the only day where his OPS was above where it is right now. So, I don't know. Is there a two for 30 slump coming because this is his high watermark of the season so far? Or is this just Mm. he's finally feeling like he needs to feel? I don't know. I think the most likely outcome 800 seems high, though. He'd have to sustain it pretty well for the last two months. I'm going to say that I actually, I don't know that I really buy that. Hmm. I think the most likely thing is he finishes like around 770, something like that. Yeah. Now, here's here's yeah. the more interesting question to me. So he's got, a, like I said, a 103 WRC+. plus. Depending on what projection system you look at, again, that would be 3% above league average as a hitter this year, whether or not you believe it, that is the case. And so the projections, Steamer has him rest of season, 119. Uh, the bat has him at 122. Zips is at 107, so that's the low watermark rest of season. But let's say he finishes with, like, if he just continues to just be solid the rest of the year, although that's not really him. He's either really amazing or terrible. So that's what I don't know. It's kind of like an all bets are off thing because he just might be unbelievable. He might do like what he did in the first half last year, right? But let's say he finishes with like a one, somewhere between a 110 to 115 WRC+. plus. Does that end up being somewhere in the ballpark of acceptable? Like, Remember, there were conversations earlier this year was, is this the worst free agent signing the Guardians have ever had or the Indians have ever had? Like, no, it's nowhere close to that. And he might end up having what is very reminiscent of before Carlos Santana was loved by everybody in Cleveland. He would have a season like this where it was very under the radar but still solid. And it never really felt like it was amazing, but he did provide some value for you offensively. Not not going to translate in war, but just offensive value. The one thing in his favor, I guess this is in his favor. He finally got his slugging percentage up to 400. If you look at his full seasons, and I'm going to eliminate 2020 because pandemic and all that, slugging percentage by year, 466, 411, 569, 476, 422. This year it's only 400. And, I, you know, why would he have his worst slugging season now? I don't think he's old and lost his power touch. You look at some of those seasons too, and like the 411, well, it came with a, a really healthy on base percentage. The 422, was last season really healthy on base percentage won a silver slugger so i i mean striking out more this season than those seasons like i still don't know like what kind of hitter he is and i do think there's more in the tank and i feel like i'm he's made me curious for the first time i was kind of i don't know out on him and now i'm at least like i want to see what happens don't you feel like there has to be a two-week stretch in there where he carries the lineup? Like, we haven't yeah. seen that yet. We saw it for two days in D.C. Yeah. three and a half months ago. I mean, overall, the numbers have been really, 
pretty good the last week or so. Um, but we haven't seen. I mean, he can go nuclear, and we haven't seen that. No, no, we haven't. The other thing, though, it, with him, despite this being this season that ha- it's it's felt underwhelming, his barrel percentage is second best in his career, better than last year, better than twenty one, better than twenty. You got to go back to twenty nineteen, the last time he had a better barrel percentage. His Contact, just looking at the expected numbers on just contact, again, is the second best of his career outside of 2019. Way better than last year, better than 21, way better than 2020. I, I feel like the contact, like it's kind of on in, on par with the sort of hitter he's been in his career, which just suggests he's, he's also, what his actual production has been does not match up with what the expected numbers would say. He's still like 30 percentage points off. And so I think he's had some bad luck. Early in the season, he definitely did not have an adequate plan. Remember, we talked so much about how he just felt so passive at the plate, and then he would go through stretches where he, he just wouldn't take the bat off of his shoulder. Then I thought like he course-corrected way too far, and he was swinging at everything, and he had no plan. Now I feel like this dude is set up to just not that every at-bat he's going to do some damage, but when he comes to the plate, I think there's a chance. There's a chance he's going to do some damage here. He, for once, because of this recent stretch, feels like he is somebody that the opposing team would fear a little bit when he comes to the plate. This ends with him opting in and me projecting he hits 40 home runs next season and being <laughs> terribly wrong. I've seen this movie before. Um, all right, last one. Last one. Tanner Bybee is the Guardians ace right now, <laughs> next year, the year after that. I wish. Oh, the year the year after that and the year after that? Oh, that's interesting. I wish I could spin my camera around right now so you could see my notes right here that says, Bybee is the ace. <laughs> that's, that's what okay, I wrote Okay, so down. you believe it, but do I? Um. Yeah, I think you do because... Who else would it be? You said right now. Right now. How can how could Bieber be the ace? He's not healthy. I don't mm. even know for sure if he's coming back in September at this point. So how could he not be the well of everybody in the rotation right now? He's the one that you, you just trust beyond trust. Part of that is because nobody else is really like Logan Allen's fine. I think Gavin Williams mostly is fine, even if he's underwhelmed a little bit. I think there might be a reason for that, but we'll see. Bybee has looked fantastic. I mean, that outing he just had against Philadelphia, that is a legitimate big boy lineup. And yeah, he had to bob and weave a little bit, but for the most part, he was pretty damn dominant against that lineup. At the end of the year, I feel like we usually go back and look at you know, a big thing is just who made strides. Who do you feel better about moving forward than you did six months earlier? And it's weird because like there have been some substantial ones. Like Naylor has gone from a guy where you're like, all right, like prove to me you're not just a platoon first baseman because that's a pretty like that that's not a super valuable role on a roster. And instead he's emerged into literally one of the best hitters in the American league. I mean, that's an enormous leap and just a critical development for the team. 
on the pitching side, you know, we knew, okay, there are probably going to be some debuts. There are a bunch of top 100 prospects. But, you know, Espino had the injury risk. We knew Bybee had kind of been the guy who went from solid, unspectacular stuff to throwing harder. But didn't really know what to make of him. You know, Logan Allen seemed like a pretty safe bet as just a solid dude, solid pitcher. And Gavin Williams, interesting as hell, but also maybe the most raw. With Bybee, I mean, the you see a couple things. One, you see just really good stuff. Two, you see super competitive. I mean, the way he screams into his glove after he gets a big strikeout or um, just like the willingness to attack hitters is impressive for a rookie. And then three, it's understanding how to use his stuff. He's a really smart dude. And I think he gets a huge kick out of game planning, figuring out strategies and seeing it work. And I think there's something to him having pitched before without having really good stuff. So he's had to get by on that grit and toughness and smarts and whatnot. And now he has this really good stuff. So you see all of that put together and it's been so impressive. You know, it's the one thing about these, all three guys, I mean, Bobby's got a 304 ERA. Gavin Williams hasn't looked like Good, except maybe one start in Kansas City. But a 374 ERA. Logan Allen has had starts where he can't get past four innings because for some reason the dude who has amazing command just hasn't been able to throw strikes or hasn't been able to put hitters away. 321 ERA. The impressive thing to me about these three is when they haven't had their best stuff, things haven't gone perfectly. They haven't caved. You know, they've still found ways to get outs and to go as long as they possibly can. I think that's going to set them up really well next year and the year beyond. And Bybee's the guy I've been most impressed with. And, like, he has made me a believer. Like, Oh, I, yeah. I don't know. He's pitched at Yankee Stadium opposite Garrett Cole. He's pitched at Wrigley Field. He's pitched... Uh, who do you... He went toe-to-toe with Max Scherzer at City Field. I mean, he's had like a lot of tough assignments. That Phillies lineup is really good. And he just doesn't back down. And I don't know. I think I believe in that. I mean, I think Aaron Savali is probably their best pitcher right now just based on, I guess, I don't know, ERA and the experience. But I don't know. If I had one game to win and I only had the healthy options. Mm Mm-hmm. Probably going Bybee. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, the thing I'm really impressed by when we talk about it every damn show, these guys don't have the track record. They don't have the innings, the experience of pitching deep into a major league season, yada, yada, yada. Bybee stuff has held up, and it to me it looks even more crisp than it did earlier in the year. Mm-hmm. Today he's throwing 95 and a half, which is on par with, where he's been here recently, and it's actually trended up slightly as the season has gone on. So the velocity is still good. Maxed out today, a little over 97, so he can go get it when he needs to. But I think he knows that he can live, you know, 93, 94, 95, but then go get the extra velo. So he doesn't have to live at his max for him to be successful and maybe blow his arm out. So he maybe can stay healthy. I think we're seeing with Gavin Williams, a guy that doesn't have all of that under his belt, doesn't have 
years and years of built up inning totals and an ability to maintain stuff throughout the entire year. Part part of it is probably diminished velocity and thinking about a guy that is thinking about placing it exactly where he wants to and maybe doesn't have the conviction to throw as hard as he possibly can. I've privately thought to myself, do the Guardians tell these guys, hey, cool it a little bit because our rotation is on fumes right now and we can't lose anybody else, so just be calm and cool it a little bit? I don't know. Can you tell a young pitcher to do that? That's difficult. I think the same thing with Logan Allen. His stuff is... He's still been largely pretty good, but hasn't been really, really not to the level that Bybee has. So, yeah, you're going to win one game. I got to pick somebody in this rotation. I'm picking the guy that can miss bats and is doing what he's doing right now. It's absolutely Bybee. Assuming they trade Bieber this winter, they really, really need Tristan McKenzie to avoid Tommy John surgery. By all accounts, McKenzie's feeling good for where he's at right now, but he hasn't started a throwing program or anything yet. That's coming soon. But more than anything, regardless of whether he makes it back and pitches this season, helps them in a pennant race or whatever, they just need him to avoid Tommy John. They need him healthy on opening day. Because if you can roll out McKenzie, Bybee, Williams, Allen, Savali, that's that's got to be that could be pretty good. Or if it's not Savali, I don't know, Quantrill, I guess. Curry? Plesak? <laughs> yeah, after he's gone through an offseason of rebuilding himself, rebuilding the Arsenal. Was he going to sign a minor league deal to stay with Cleveland? Because they're not tendering him a contract. Who knows what would happen there? Was that it? That's it. I don't want to step on your toes here. Did you convince yourself any more than you were expecting me to be convinced? I think I just confused myself. That's how this goes. All right, well, all the stuff I prepared, I'll just throw in the garbage can. It was going to be awesome, though. (laughs) Just totally fire. Can we do an episode... From Dave and Buster's? <laughs> yes. Or have an event at Dave and Buster's for all of our listeners? That would be awesome. Start writing this stuff Can down. Can they sponsor us? <laughs> yeah, we went so well. Dave, Buster, if either of you are listening. Winking lizard. Give us your money. <laughs> Speaking of which, see you guys at Patreon later this week. Bye. <laughs>